If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll be considering uh, verses 19 through 25 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And last week we began a new series on worship by looking at what Scripture tells us worship is. And the definition that we landed on by using Psalm 100 as our guide is that worship is service rendered unto the Lord in humble submission to Him as sovereign over all things, in which we express our deep and sincere satisfaction in Him. I said that this is the foundation upon which we uh, will build this series. And today we continue to build upon this foundation by considering why we worship. So hear now the word of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say, His flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Thus far, the reading of God's Word Let us ask His blessing upon it. Father, we thank You for this Word that You have given us, that You have preserved and kept pure in all ages, that the promise which You have given us that not one jot or tittle would fall away from this perfect Word has remained. That You have kept that promise even to this day. And that even the schemes of Satan to destroy or deceive has not uh, destroyed or done away with Your perfect Word. And so, Lord, we thank You for it. We ask Your blessing upon our time. We ask Your blessing upon the reading of this Word Lord, we trust 
that as the Word goes forth, it will never return void. That the Spirit causes the Word to become effectual in everyone who hears it. And so, Lord, we ask that we would have ears to hear this Word aright.ly Open our ears and ready our hearts to receive this Word. To hear it conscionably with a ready and open ear. To receive it with gladness. And Father, as we come now to the preaching of this Word, we ask that the minister would decrease so that Christ Jesus would be magnified. We ask, Lord, that the preaching of the Word would go forth not in the wisdom and enticing words of man, but in the demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost. And that as it goes forth, it would be received by Your people as the Word of God for the, for the faithful preaching of the Word is the Word of God. So Lord, let us receive this with gladness and with joy. And let us seek to apply these truths which You have prepared for us this day so that our lives may be uh, brought more and more in conformity to Your will for us. Father, I am unworthy to unpack the mysteries of this Gospel. But Lord, Your Spirit working through me is worthy and able. So Lord, let Him go forth. With the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you recall our communion sermon from a couple of weeks ago, uh, you will be reminded of the context of this passage. The communion sermon was on the first 18 verses of this passage. Paul is writing this letter to Hebrew Christians, those who have converted to Christianity out of Judaism. And he's encouraging and exhorting them to continue in the faith and not go back to the Old Covenant ceremonial systems. The first 18 verses, he makes uh, the case that Christ is the perfect sacrifice, that the shedding of His blood and not the blood of bulls and goats, uh, did what the, the blood of those animals could never do. Namely, to take away the sins of His people. We see that it was in his, Him willingly laying down His life as an atonement for the sins of His people that He has done away with the Old Covenant ceremonial system and has ushered in a new system of worship for 
the New Testament people of God. Our text this morning continues this teaching, now moving to the necessity of the people of God to render worship unto Him. And specifically, to do so in the public gathering. The church, since its very beginning, has always been a people who gather together to praise Jehovah. It's clear from both the Old and the New Testaments, as well as over 2,000 years of church history since the closing of the age of the apostles. And yet we see in our culture today that there are many who profess to be Christians who neglect this fundamental part of the Christian life. I know people who profess to be believers and yet they say that they can't stand the institutional church. And that's why they're not members of a local congregation, nor do they gather together with others for public worship. There's this idea that has infected numerous people which leads them to the lie that they don't need to attend public worship because they can worship privately in their own homes. They cruelly twist John 4 and verses 21 to 23 where Christ says, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship... Uh, you, uh, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. They say that that passage means we don't have to go anywhere to worship. We can just pop, we can just worship where we are in our own homes. We don't have to gather together. And this is a terrible twisting of scripture. And it's been uh, further strengthened over the last three years during the pandemic, in which people began to quote unquote attend worship in front of their televisions or their computer screens instead of actually gathering together as the Lord commands. I'll tell you now, watching or listening to sermon audio is not worship. This attitude of whether or not we gather together as the body of Christ for public worship is inconsequential, must be destroyed. I thank the Lord that this congregation has not fallen prey to this wickedness. But if we're honest, each of us would likely admit to times in which uh, we have neglected the public worship of God as well. 
in order to keep us from falling prey to this and to warn those who have already fallen prey to it, we must consider the necessity of public worship. And so the theme we'll consider today is that public worship is necessary for the life of a believer. Public worship is necessary for the life of a believer. And we'll consider this by looking at three reasons why it is necessary. First, it is where you meet with God. Second, it's where you build up one another. And then lastly, it is where you're encouraged. Where you're encouraged unto perseverance. So first, let us consider that public worship is where you meet with God. Look with me at verses 19 through 22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He says first that we have boldness to enter into the holiest. This privilege was never granted to the fathers under the law. For the people were forbidden to enter into the sanctuary. Though the high priest bore their, the names of the tribes on his shoulders and the twelve stones as a memorial of them on his breast, they were symbolically there, but only through representation. But now... The case is very different. For not only symbolically, but in reality, we have an entrance into heaven. This entrance into heaven is made open to us through the favor of Christ. For He has made us a royal priesthood. Friends, this is a monumental shift from the old to the new. One which ought to be a great encouragement to you. No longer do you have to bring sacrifices to the temple and have a priest intercede on your behalf. No longer... Does another man have to go before the presence of God and offer your sacrifice unto Him? No, instead now, you are permitted through the intercession of your great High Priest, Jesus Christ Himself, to enter into the throne room of grace. To enter into the Holy of Holies where Jehovah sits enthroned and to offer your sacrifice of praise unto Him. 
We are able to stand in the presence of Jehovah because we have been consecrated, set apart for a holy use, just as the high priest of old was. We have had our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Yes, the Lord is present in all places. Yes, you can commune with Him in any setting, even in private within your own homes. But it is the public worship gathering in which He is especially present among His people. What an incredible thing this is that we are permitted entrance into His presence when we gather together. Because of this great thing, because of what Christ Jesus has done in tearing the veil which separated the people from God, we can now approach Him with boldness. Matthew Henry writes, this blood being sprinkled on the conscience chases away any slavish fear and gives the believer assurance both of his safety and his welcome into the divine presence. And so the duty on your part, friends, is to draw near to him. Draw near to Him because of the Father's love for you in sending His Son because of what Christ has done in redeeming you and because of what the Holy Spirit has done in His work in washing you clean and consecrating you to a holy purpose, you must respond in faith by drawing near unto Him. And that is what you do each and every time you enter into those doors and gather together for public worship. This is the appointed day and the appointed means that the Lord has determined for His people to draw near unto Him. Yes, the Lord provides provision for those who are providentially hindered to be able to enjoy a special communion with Him. But that's an extraordinary thing. It's not the ordinary. No, the ordinary means in which we are called to draw near unto Him is in the corporate gathering of the saints on the Lord's day. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, what's your understanding of coming into public worship? Do you view it as simply fulfilling an obligation that has been placed upon you? Do you view it as as an opportunity to enhance your social status or to develop friendships with people that you wouldn't normally get to see? Or do you recognize that coming into the public worship of God is entering into His very presence within the throne room of grace and communing with Him as your God and King. Friends, if this is true, 
If it's true that coming to worship is entering into the very presence of our God and King, then it ought to shape your mindset, your very demeanor in which you enter into public worship. John Calvin says that in this text we learn what must be the frame of our minds in order that we may enjoy the benefits conferred by Christ. For there is no coming to Him without an upright or true heart and a sure faith and a pure conscience. Friends, this is how you must come into worship. What height of mockery it is to enter into the presence of the Lord in an irreverent manner. If you were going to have a meeting with a king of a foreign country, how would you enter into that meeting? Would you show up looking like you just rolled out of bed? Would you be joking and goofing off in his throne room as the meeting begins? Would you be late to that meeting? course not. None of us would. Then why would we not show the King of Kings a far greater respect as you enter into His presence? If you will show an earthly king that respect, why not show the King of Kings, your heavenly King, Far greater respect. Friends, preparation for the Lord's Day service must be done. We see in the Old Covenant, the day before the Sabbath was called the day of preparation. You must prepare for the Sabbath. Make yourself presentable. Don't look like you just rolled out of bed. If you look like you just rolled out of bed, chances are you did just like you did just roll out of bed. And you haven't prepared yourself. Come to worship on time. You know what time our service starts? Sabbath school's at 9:30. Service starts at 10:45. Come to worship on time. And when you show up, forego all jesting, all joking, all casual conversation, and spend time before the service begins to really uh, ready yourself to enter into His presence. you believe that you are coming into the presence of the Lord, then treat it as such. And more importantly, most importantly, do not neglect coming to worship. If you were summoned by an earthly king to meet with him, 
You would not dare miss that meeting. Do not neglect coming to worship and meeting with your heavenly king. Because public worship is where you meet with God. So that addresses the vertical aspect of public worship between us and God. But there's also a horizontal aspect to it. Not only are you communing with God during the worship service, but you're also communing with one another in the presence of God. And this is for a particular purpose. Friends, worship is where you build up one another. Look with me at verses 23 and 24. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. First, we see that in public worship, we strengthen one another in our faith. In the public worship of God, we receive from the word the truths which he has laid out for us. And it is here that oftentimes conviction of sin or a lack of faithfulness is made known. Your duty is to pray for those around you that the Lord would work in their hearts even as He is working in yours. It's in the public worship and the things flowing from public worship that we encourage and build up one another to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. If you see a brother or sister wrestling with the preaching during the service, or if you see that they're not participating in the various parts of the service, then lift them up to your Father in prayer and that the Spirit would strengthen their faith and cause them to rejoice. Because that's what we are called to do. To rejoice in the Lord. And friends, even your very participation in the worship service will aid in strengthening the faith of those around you. We see this clearly in Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We teach and admonish one another. And our text goes on to say that, that we are to provoke one another unto love and good works. And this is done primarily through the preaching of the Word, where the Word preached provokes you unto love and good works. But it's also done through the teaching and admonishing of one another, which is seen in Colossians. You provoke one another unto good works by teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Verse 25 makes this clear when Paul says that we are to exhort one another. 
Charles Simeon writes, we should consider one another. We should notice each other's wants and weaknesses, defects and failings in order to guard each other against the very beginnings of declension in the divine life and to stimulate one another to exertion in the cause of truth and love. And then Henry adds to this by saying, Christians ought to have a tender consideration and concern for one another. They should affectionately consider what their several wants, weaknesses, and temptations are. And they should do this not to reproach one another, to provoke one another not to anger, but to love and good works, calling upon themselves and one another to love God and Christ more, to love duty and holiness more, to love their brethren in Christ more, and to do all the good offices of Christian affection, both to the bodies and the souls of each other. It's so easy to sit in the worship service and to think that all that is going on is between you and God. What an individualistic way of looking at the public worship of God. And what an unscriptural way of looking at it as well. The corporate gathering of the saints brings about corporate edification. And the Lord promises to pour His blessing out upon His people corporately. So friends, how are you strengthening one another in faith during the public worship of God? Are you praying for your brothers and sisters as they wrestle with the text, as they are brought to conviction of sin, as they see areas in which the Lord is calling them unto reformation? Are you trusting that they are praying for you as well? That you would be strengthened in faith? How are you provoking one another, not to anger or to malice, but unto love and to good works? Dear saints, this is one of the key aspects of public worship that cannot be done in any private setting. You cannot build one another up unless you are here with one another. Build up one another. Edify one another. Teach and admonish one another as the Scripture commands you to do. Do not come to the worship service seeking some sort of personal benefit by which you may be blessed. Seek out the ways in which you may bless others even as you bless the Lord with your whole heart. There may be a time in which the mutual edification of the saints, which is found in public worship, is stripped away due to providential hindrance. And if that time comes, will you be content with it because you never really saw 
what the the corporate benefit of being gathered together is? Or will you weep as the psalmist when he was providentially hindered from the corporate gathering in Psalm 42.4? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. Friends, do not be individualistic in your understanding of worship because the Lord has instituted His worship not to be so. There's private worship, yes. Do that in your home. There's family worship, yes. Do that in your home. But the corporate public worship of God is not a private thing. It is not a personal thing. It is a corporate thing. Come unto worship, uh, come unto the worship gathering and seek to provoke one another. Because worship is where you build one another up. And if we continue in our passage, we see that the assembling of ourselves together in public worship is expressly commanded. But what's interesting is the reasoning attached to it. So let us now consider that public worship is where you you are encouraged unto perseverance. Look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's the final day approaching, which is the reason given to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There is a day that is approaching, that great day of judgment in which the saints of that are in Christ will be gathered together and brought into the new Jerusalem. But also on that great day of judgment, those who are found outside of Christ will be thrown out into the lake of fire along with Satan and his demons. So that should be ever present in our mind when we come to the worship of God and the reason for why we come to the worship of God. I know that verse 26 is not part of our text this morning, but it's important to note that the apostle connects the forsaking of the assembling together with apostasy. And I'm sure that you've seen this as well. Oftentimes, neglect to attend public worship is the first sign that someone is falling away from the faith. This is why it's important that we as elders check up on people who have missed worship to ensure that there's not a greater problem that's going on spiritually. 
I'm sure some of you here can attest to the fact that we will reach out to you if we haven't seen you in a couple weeks just to make sure that everything is okay. This is out of love and care for your soul. In chapter 6 of this same book of Hebrews, in chapter 6, we see the warning against apostasy. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the world to come, that if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. Friends, those things that are listed uh, are evidences of being part of the corporate people of God. That they were enlightened. They tasted of the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. They tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Those are evidences that they are partakers of the corporate blessings of the people of God. And forsaking those things are evidences of their apostasy. This is why so often the first thing that Satan goes after in the life of a Christian to deceive and to, to deceive him and to lead him down the path of perdition is the necessity of public worship. If public worship is the most spiritually significant, momentous thing that we can do on earth, is it any wonder, any wonder that the devil attacks it more than anything else? Is it any wonder then that when we experienced a virus that was unknown and the government uh, had limited what we could do that many churches across this country closed their doors and moved to solely online. Is that a surprise to us? I've heard so many accounts of people leaving the faith during that time. And we can only wonder how much the forsaking of gathering together contributed to that. Friends, perseverance is ultimately uh, something that God does. He preserves you to the end. But He does so by working through means. It is the Holy Spirit working through the ordinary means of grace which is effectual in converting, strengthening, sanctifying, and preserving men. And who are the stewards of the mysteries of God? The elders who are ordained by Christ unto service in the church. Who is it that is the pillar and ground of the truth? It is the house of God, the church of the living God. We confess that outside of the church there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. 
If you want to be strengthened and encouraged and equipped to persevere unto the end, if you want to make it to that day which is approaching and to be welcomed in by the Lord Jesus Christ, then you must be found in Him and be obedient to His commands. You must be in public worship. For it is a means by which the strengthening, encouragement, and equipping to perseverance takes place. So you must gather together. And you must call others to gather together. Christ said He will build His church. Calvin writes, For to what end did Christ come except to collect us all into one body from that dispersion in which we are now wandering? Therefore, the nearer His coming is, the more we ought to labor that the scattered may be assembled and united together and there may be one fold and one shepherd as we see in John 10, 16. So the question before you now is will you persevere to the end? Will you hold fast to the faith and take part in those holy ordinances in which the Lord has ordained? Will you commit yourself whenever possible, when not providentially hindered? Will you commit yourself to be in attendance at the public gathering of the saints in corporate worship? Or will you forsake the assembling together of yourselves as is the manner of some? The habit of attending upon the house of God should be so firmly established in every Christian that he would be sorely uncomfortable if compelled to be absent. It ought to pain you to be away from the people of God. God has spoken on this matter and we must hear. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. To not desire to be in the house of God is a grave sign of a great spiritual problem. Long to be with Him and with His people in public worship. Blessed are they that dwell in Thy house. They will be praising Thee. Can you sing that song and sing it sincerely? That you find blessing in the house of God? Can you sing, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Friends, this must be your desire your mindset, your attitude concerning public worship, if you are to receive, uh, if you are to be received in that last great day. 
You must desire it one day in the courts of the Lord to thousands in the tents of the wicked. The communion of saints is a great help and privilege and a good means of steadfastness and perseverance. This is why being here is so important. This is why it is so necessary because public worship is where you are encouraged unto perseverance. Brothers and sisters, may we never forget the incredible value that we should place upon the corporate gathering of the saints. We have fellow believers around the world who do not have the privileges that you do here in America. They gather in secret. And they know that if they are found by the authorities, they will be either imprisoned or killed. And yet they still meet together. And oftentimes more frequently than we do. Because they see that day approaching. And for them, it may come quicker than for us. Because they are literally risking their lives to worship the Lord. They know how important public worship is. So will you do the same? Will you commit to never forsaking the assembling of yourselves together in public worship friends never forget this fact that public worship is necessary necessary for the life of a believer let us pray Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you that you have appointed a means by which we can enter into your presence and praise your holy name. That we can do so as your people of God assembled together. And that you give us promises and assurance in this. Lord, let us not look to these holy ordinances, the the means of grace as Uh, means of salvation in themselves. But Lord, let us look unto Christ alone for salvation. For it is Christ alone uh, who preserves us unto the end. But let us not neglect what He has instituted for us as His bride. And let us long for that day when we hear the bridegroom say come and we approach him as a bride arrayed in beauty and splendor as a bride adorned for her husband. Father, let us never forget this important truth and let us never forget the importance of of gathering together as the corporate people. Father, let these truths sink into our hearts, stir up within us where we need to change, and let us 
grow more and more into conformity with the image of your Son. We ask this in his name. Amen.